The text for the sermon this afternoon is Acts 1, verse 11. Let's read that right now. Just to give a bit of context, we'll read a few of the verses preceding it. So Acts 1, and we'll begin reading at verse 6. This is the events surrounding the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're going to focus on what he says after his ascension. So we read the beginning of verse 6. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their, uh, their very eyes in a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And here begins our text. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Thus far, our text Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, we often read Acts 1, the verses 1 through 11, looking at it as the account of the ascension. But one of the interesting things as you see what happens in Acts 1, especially the verses 6 through 11, is that three things are dealt with. The ascension is described, Pentecost is prophesied, but also the return of our Lord Jesus Christ is prophesied. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, the return of Christ. Because as the disciples stand there watching Jesus go, they suddenly see that two angels are there beside them. And they tell the disciples that he's coming back. They ask them, as they're, they're looking up into the sky, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why, why do you stand here looking after Jesus? I'm sure the disciples did this with a certain amount of sorrow. Jesus was gone. In a certain sense, a chapter would have ended in their lives. And perhaps we, we also do that as we think about what Christ has done at Pentecost. We think of the story as being over. What's happened in the past is the past. Jesus has saved us. Redemption is complete. And now what we do is we wait for our stories to be completed. And we go to catch up with Jesus in heaven and we live there with him forever. That is the common perception of what our lives are now. We are waiting to go to heaven. We're waiting for our stories to be completed. Because Jesus' story is completed. But as we look at our text, and as we hear the angels speak, we, we see that we need to rethink that. What the angels tell the disciples, what they tell us, is that the story isn't done. Jesus' story isn't done. 
there's more to come. The angels tell the disciples, they tell us to look forward. They tell us to remember that Jesus has gone into heaven to rule his kingdom in glory. And they remind us that he's sending his spirit to work in us, to work through us. But they also call us to remember that Jesus is coming back. The story's not over. There's more to come. And so this morning, we will look at the rest of the story. Because Jesus is coming back. Now the first thing that we need to see is the angels say that this same Jesus is coming back. And that's significant. What they literally say is something like like this. This same one. This Jesus. He's coming back. What they mean is this, this man that you know. The man you have followed for these last three years. The one that was born to Mary. The one who died. The one who rose. The one who has just been hidden from your sight. In that cloud of glory. He's coming back. You know, they don't just say Jesus is coming back. They don't say the Son of God is coming back. No, they say this same Jesus. This one. He's coming back. And that's significant. Jesus continues, not just the Son of God. What we need to see is that in the ascension, Jesus did not abandon his humanity. He's connected to it forever. When Jesus speaks of his return, he talks about himself as the Son of Man. In Matthew 26, 64, he says to the Jewish leaders, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's the wonder of who Jesus Christ is. He is the eternal Son of God who has always been. But at Christmas, we remember that that eternal Son of God, He took on our human nature. He took on our human nature in the Incarnation. That, that human nature that we have, the, the sinful human nature, he took it on. He became a man. And in the crucifixion, that man, that human body, it died. It died our death. That man, Jesus, in his death, paid for our sins. He made us right with God. But that same Jesus with that same body, rose from the dead with nail holes in his hands, the same body that was crucified. He rose from the dead glorified. And what happens in the ascension is that he takes that same body into heaven. He sits at the right hand of his Father as the same human being that walked on this earth. He has a body in heaven. He has a heart that pumps blood. He is the second Adam. The true human. He's the human being we were meant to be. And he is still that human being. And that's something that I think in our culture today, in, our, in the larger Christian circle, we need to, to reconnect with. Jesus is not in heaven as a disembodied spirit. 
He is there as a man. I think we often see that around us. We, we have this idea that when we die, we are freed from this prison of a body and we get to be like the angels, some sort of spiritual being. But that's not what Scripture speaks about. Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 speaks of a spiritual body. But he's not meaning a non-physical body. No, he's meaning a body that's filled with the Spirit. A glorified body, like Christ has. Christ is our pioneer, our forerunner. He's gone on ahead of us with his glorified body. But that's not the end of the story. There's still more to the story. And that means that there's more to our story. The gospel for us is not that we abandon our bodies. No, our bodies were created good. They were part of that very good that God announced, that He spoke over His creation. Our future involves our bodies. It involves glorified, renewed bodies like Christ's. That's the whole point of the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ and our future resurrection. If we do not have our bodies, what is the difference between death and resurrection? So our future involves following Jesus, following Him as human beings. And that story, that future, also involves earth. That human body of our Lord Jesus Christ is now in heaven, but it is not meant to stay there. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back to earth. And that's something we need to remember. Earth is central in Jesus' thoughts and in his work. Redemption is not some large-scale evacuation project. I think we often get that picture. We're being removed from this creation that's going to be annihilated. We're going to, it's like a sinking ship and we go to be in heaven. something that we often are, are told on a, on a continual basis. There's a, there's a song, for instance, that was on the radio a while back. I would hear it on 105 on a regular basis. It's a catchy tune. The band's called Building 422. Or, sorry, Building 429. And here's the chorus. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus this is not where I belong. The words sound great. This is not where I belong. This they long to be with Jesus. I looked up the video and I saw some of the comments on the official video page a while back. And the first one read, agreeing wholeheartedly with the words of the song and saying, Our hope is for heaven. And I think that quote sums up what many believe. Now, I think this person was trying to reference 1 Peter 1.4, which speaks of an inheritance kept in heaven. But when we read that text closely, we, say that, we see that Peter is not saying that heaven is our hope, our ultimate home, our inheritance. No, our inheritance is new life in Christ. And that inheritance is being kept, guarded in heaven. So when you look at that song, when you see that comment, you see a fundamental misunderstanding about the story of salvation, especially 
as it relates to the future. And we can often see this in the way texts are treated as they speak about the future of this world. And they're actually being used to say something that they don't actually say. Earlier we read Matthew 26, the verses 36 to 44. Now that's a text that many have used for the rapture. This idea that those who belong to Christ will somehow be taken away from the earth and into heaven. But if you closely read, especially Matthew 24, you'll see that that's not what Jesus is saying there. And that's not really the point of what he's saying. Let's look at Matthew 24 for a moment. Matthew 24 for a moment and just see what Jesus is saying there. What you have there is Jesus is talking about the last days and he uses the days of Noah as an example. And he says they were living their lives as if nothing was wrong. And then it says, verse 39, until the flood came and took them away. And he says it's going to be just like that on the day of the Lord. And he says there, in the verses 40 to 41, two men will be in a field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken and the other left. So the wicked people before the flood, they will be taken away. One in the field will be taken. One at the handmill will be taken. The point of what Jesus is saying is that God is going to come in judgment. Some will be saved, some will be not. And it will be a sharp divide between people who are right together. But to use this text to say that the one taken is the one saved, goes against the flow of what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that believers will be taken from the earth. He's saying that those who are condemned will be taken. Taken away, like the flood. The testimony of Scripture, and that's something that we have richly in our Reformed tradition, especially from the Netherlands, when you read what some of our theologians have said, that this idea is so strong in Scripture, and it's strong as you look at people reflecting on it within our tradition. The earth continues, but it will be changed when Christ returns. And a text that's been, been pointed to is, is, is 2 Peter 3.10. We have that verse that says here, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And that sounds like a complicated text. What is Peter saying? Now as you look at the context in 2 Peter 3, you'll see that what Peter is talking about is actually three worlds. He talks about, in, verses, in verse 5, he says, By God's word, the heavens and the earth were formed. That's the world that was created. And then that same world was deluged by water. That's the second world. And then the third world, the world that would be destroyed, or 
purified by fire. Now, he's not talking about three different worlds, three different planets, three different earths. It's all the same earth. Those three worlds are the same thing. The point is not that the world will end, but that it will be purified with fire. It will be found. That's the word that is used there in verse 10 where it says laid bare. Literally, the word word is to be found. It's the verb to be found. This is fire refining language. It's similar to what uh, what Paul speaks of in in 1 Corinthians 3.13 when he says that things will be revealed by fire. You You have straw, wood, precious stone. It will be revealed by fire for what it is. Malachi 2, 3 and 4 talks about the refining fire. It's a theme, it's an image from Scripture that is often used by God. He will burn off the drost. So what happens is, what, what Peter is saying is when Christ returns, when the story comes to its goal, to its completion, the fallen world, this fallen world, will be purified by fire. It will be renewed. That's what we look forward to. God will restore creation. And Peter says at verse 13, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. God created this world good. He loves this world. He's not going to annihilate it. No, He is going to restore it. And all creation groans looking forward to that day. Creation has been subjected to futility because of sin, but it looks forward to the day where that will be burned away. Creation will be liberated. So this is our home. This is where Christ is returning. He's coming back to earth. That's what the angels say. He is coming back. The beauty of that song I reference is that people know that things are not right here. They long for more, and they long to be with Jesus. And that is right, and that is beautiful. We long to be with Christ, which is better by far. Paul says those words. But that is not the end of the story. Our hope is to be with Christ. But to think that that being with Christ is removed from earth is to think too small. We need to think bigger, to see the rest of the story, the place of this good earth in God's creative purposes. The beauty of what God has done in making this world, the wonder of what He is doing to His people, for His people, and to His creation. When we abandon earth, when we focus our thoughts only on heaven, then we have not grasped the wonder of what God is doing. Our ultimate longing is not to follow Jesus to heaven. Our ultimate longing is for Him to come back to earth. We want to be with Christ wherever He is. That's our comfort. That's our joy. And that day is coming. He will return in the same way He left. That's our final point. Because the angels comfort the disciples with these words. They say, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
So how did he go into heaven? In verse 9, we, we read that he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So what happened is in the ascension, Jesus rose into the air. Now the picture that we have here in our minds of what happened at Christ's ascension is not of some sort of Jesus that's sort of going through the atmosphere, going through all the planets, going to some place thousands of light years away, which is called heaven. I think that's a picture that we often may have in our minds. But as we look at scripture and how it speaks of heaven, that's not what's being said. Scripture essentially speaks of heaven as a realm or a dimension or a reality to which we do not have access. Throughout scripture, you see people who are granted the ability to see into heaven. You can think of, of Elisha with his, with his servant. Or he thinks their master were surrounded by these, these enemy troops. And Elisha prays and God opens that servant's eyes and he sees into heaven. He sees that there's an incredible army around him. So heaven is, is, a, is something that we do not have access to. So what happened in the ascension is that Jesus went into the air and then clouds hid Jesus, received Jesus as he, was, as he entered the realm of heaven. They enveloped him. And as we look at that cloud, we need to ask, what's the point of that cloud? Was it just an incidental detail that he, you know, he was rising up and a cloud happened to be there and it hit him? Now, as we look at the clouds, we, we can think of the transfiguration. We can think of that cloud that surrounded Jesus in glory. We can, we can also think of the cloud of the presence in the Exodus. We can think of the cloud that filled the temple, 1 Kings 8. So when we think of clouds in Scripture, we think of glory and majesty. And that's what happened when Jesus left the realm of this earth and went into the realm of heaven. He entered heaven in glory, in majesty, in clouds. He was received into heaven as the conquering hero, as the king who is receiving his kingdom. The disciples saw him entering. In Revelation, we, we hear an account of some sorts of, of what it looked like from the other side. But it was majestic and it was glorious. And Christ will return in the same way. He will return in glory. When the time established by the Father's authority arrives, Jesus will return from heaven. He will return on the clouds of heaven and he will bring heaven with him. The new Jerusalem, Revelation 21, 2, the new Jerusalem will come down from heaven. Heaven and earth will become one when Christ comes in his glory. And that's what we read about in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. Read there, 1 Corinthians 4. He says, uh, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
After that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. It's verses 16 and 17. Now, interestingly, this is another text that is used to say the opposite of what it actually says. Many read this, and you've probably heard this before. What will happen here, what's being described by Paul in 1 Thessalonians, is that that Jesus will, will come halfway down from heaven. We will then be taken up from the earth, meet him halfway, and then Jesus will turn around and head back to heaven with us. And I think when we read this text, being conditioned to hear that, we simply say, yeah, that's exactly what it says. But you need to understand that that's not what the original hearers would have heard. And you can see that even by looking at certain things in Scripture. What they would have thought of is what happens when an important dignitary comes to visit. And he's greeted by the people that he's coming to visit. And then they bring him back in. You can see that Acts 28, 15 and 16. The Roman believers do this for Paul. Paul's coming to Rome. The believers, the elders go out to meet him far outside the city and then they accompany him back. The parable of the ten virgins. The cry goes out at midnight, the the bridegroom's here. Everybody gets up, they go to the bridegroom and then they go with him to the wedding. There's actually an account given by Josephus, a Jewish historian who I'm sure many of you have heard of. But Josephus spoke of, he he recounted what happened when Vespasian became emperor. And when when you hear Josephus describe what happens and you look at 1 Thessalonians 4, there you really see what's being said. So what happened is Vespasian became the new emperor. And he came to Rome. And what happened is the entire city went out to meet him. The most important people went first. And it's interesting when you read what what Paul's saying in 1 Thessalonians, that he's saying that those who have died, we we won't pursue them. They will go first. They will rise first. They are ahead of us. But what happens is the most important people, the dignitaries within Rome, they went out first to meet their new emperor. And then the entire city, Josephus says, was almost emptied. Everybody went out. It was one big, joyous throng. They were all there, meeting their new emperor. And then they all escorted him back into the city in a huge, glorious procession. So that's what the first readers would have heard when they heard Paul say this. That's how it will be when Christ returns. And we we don't know exactly how it will all look. But in some way, when Christ returns, that barrier between heaven and earth will be ripped apart. And he will come in glory on the clouds of heaven. With those who have preceded us. The dead will rise. They will be with him. And then we will go out to meet him. One glorious church. And we will come back to earth we will be there as Christ consummates his rule over this new earth this this heaven and earth that have been brought together Christ will establish the home of righteousness and we will be with him forever that's the rest of the story 
That's what we get to look forward to. That will be the beginning of a new story. A story that will never end. Where each day in that kingdom with Christ, each day will not be able to contain our joy as we live forever with him. Amen. Let us now sing together as congregations hymn 67, Come Lord Jesus Maranatha. We'll sing hymn 67, the stanzas 1, 2, 6, and 7. If you're able, please rise.